Welcome back to Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff. Today we have a really cool conversation that we can't wait to share with you with Sarah Martin, who, Chris, you're actually the one that kind of discovered Sarah on YouTube. Can you tell us a little bit about like how you how you met her? I guess through the magic of the YouTube algorithm, I was, you know, just poking around YouTube one day and all of a sudden one of her videos came up as a suggested video. I mean, I, I guess you know, I guess they knew that I was watching a lot about deconstruction kind of things. So <laughs> so it recommended Sarah's channel. And so I watched several of her videos and I thought this uh, I think she she would be really interesting to talk to. So I found an email address for her, I think through her website and reached out um, just, you know, fingers crossed because I figured, you know, I'm just a random guy out of the blue emailing somebody asking them to be on my podcast. And so I, I thought, you know, 50-50 chance she might actually respond. And she did. So I was really happy. And her response, if I remember correctly, was she had some questions for you. But what she did say was, I would love to be on the podcast as long as you don't try to reconvert me. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I laughed at that. And, you know, she has every right to to uh, be concerned about that. And, yeah. and as I said, random person emailing her, she had no idea what our intentions were, um, you know, if we had any agenda or anything. So um, she was right to ask that. And so I was so I'm glad she she said that. And, um, you know, I was able to to reassure her that, you know, that we are not interested in in, you know, converting her back to Christianity. We just want to hear her story and. I've heard some of it on YouTube and I was very interested to hear more. And that's the beauty of spiritual direction and what we get to do, Chris, is, you know, we get to hear about people's stories and their journeys. And uh, I'm so glad that you had introduced us to Spiral Dynamics in an earlier episode, uh, just because it just reinforces the idea that we, as we sit with people and listen we respect their journeys and we just allow people to be exactly where they are on their journey, no matter where they are now or where they'll end up in the future. And, uh, and I just think that is a really beautiful thing about spiritual direction, which is why it's so great to be able just to sit with Sarah again, with no agenda and just hear her story. Cause she's amazing. Yeah. And it takes some trust on our part, trust, you know, in God and the work, that God is doing in someone's life, they're not in the same place that we are. That's okay. Um, you know, we weren't in the same place that we are now 10 years ago or five years ago, even probably. So we just have to trust that as God moves us along, God moves them along and at different rates, at different places and, and brings and brings everyone to a different place in the end. So uh, that's one of the beautiful things of being a spiritual director, because we get to to sit with people where they are and witness that journey as it happens. It's all about leading people toward love and freedom, whatever that looks like for them. And as you'll hear in our episode today, Sarah is in a very free space. And I think that that is beautiful and amazing. And we can't wait for you to hear. Today we have with us Sarah Martin, and for the first 23 years of Sarah's life, she was a devout evangelical Christian who thought she had everything figured out. Her disillusioned view of reality was shattered when life threw her a series of curveballs that her faith in Jesus could no longer adequately explain. Weighed down by depression and shame, she found herself 
falling headfirst into reevaluating everything she believed and why she believed it. So Sarah has a blog, an Instagram, and a YouTube channel, which is how I came across her material. And we'll link to those in our show notes. So thank you for being with us, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Would you start out by kind of giving us some background on your your faith upbringing and um, just your background story? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up going to church with my grandparents most weekends. My parents weren't really religious, but my grandparents were. Um, they were the biggest influence on me um, when it came to Christianity and faith. Um, so they were part of a small Christian denomination called the Missionary Church um, denomination, which is big into like world missions and taking the gospel, you know, around the world and sharing the message of Jesus. Um, so I grew up in that um, sort of culture, evangelical culture. And faith was always important to me, but when I was 13, it started to become more personal. All of the Sunday school lessons started to, you know, make more sense. Um, I actually had gone and seen um, the musical Jesus Christ Superstar with my family and seeing, seeing someone portray Jesus on the cross, like for me, it was like a really powerful moment, like to actually see it in person. Um, and so I was 13 at that time and it's like, okay, I definitely like want to give my life to Jesus and I want to follow him and all of that. So um, from then on, my faith became probably the most important part of my life. Um, as a teenager, um, I stopped attending public school in eighth grade. Um, I didn't really feel like I connected with other kids my age. Um, I think a big part of that was just I was taking my faith a lot more seriously and um, just didn't feel like I fit in with what the other kids were interested in. Um, so I started homeschooling um, my freshman year of high school and continued that until I graduated. And I really made an effort to like dive deeper into reading the Bible and just studying theology I read through the entire Bible. I think it was like my junior year of high school. Um, so I really like started growing deeper in my faith um, during those years. And then um, when it came time to start thinking about college, I knew for sure I needed to go to a Christian university. That wasn't a question. Um, I wanted to be around other people that, you know, were trying to build their lives and their future on their faith in Jesus. And so I ended up picking a small liberal arts college in Michigan, um, majored in psychology with, you know, the hope that I would be able to use that to help other people alongside my faith and kind of combine the two. Um, and then um, it was more after college that I'd say I started kind of just questioning what I believed. Um, some of the things that I'd always grown up believing just kind of didn't align with what I was experiencing in the, the real world outside of, outside of college. Um, so 
So it was it was really the first few months after I graduated that I would say I really began, you know, reevaluating things and asking some hard questions. Now I'm not familiar with um, what did you call it the missionary church that you mm-hmm. went. I'm not too familiar with it. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of what that church taught you about God and and about the Bible? Kind of what were the core beliefs that they handed to you? I think it it's pretty similar to a lot of other evangelical denominations. Um, you know, the, the Bible is the inerrant word of God. Um, the, the biggest thing that I, I remember specifically about that denomination is just how focused they were on sharing the gospel, you know, globally. And I remember so many times my grandpa would be talking with me about faith related things and, you know, always say something like, you know, Sarah, God might have a plan for you to be a missionary and, you know, you'll never know where he might, he might call you. So I always like in, in the back of my mind had like this suspicion, like I would be terrified if that's what God wanted me to do. But because I'm terrified, that's probably what he does want me to do. I've been involved with a church in Atlanta that is very like missions, like global missions oriented. And there is so much talk on going and sharing the gospel out there. And there really seems to be a lack of, um, of like understanding it for yourself. And I don't know if that is something that, that you maybe noticed in the mission church as well. Yeah. I, it's, it's weird because as far as like church went, I don't, I don't remember a whole lot like detail about the denomination itself and the teachings. I, I was more of a Sunday school person and then skipped like real church. (laughs) My grandma taught the Sunday school class. And so we would always, only my sister would always go to that. We'd hang out with grandma for an hour, you know, get our, you know, fruit snacks or whatever afterwards. Um, and sometimes we'd sit in for some of the services and hear actually more of like the, the grown up message, but mostly I just got the, the Sunday school teachings and then whatever my, my grandparents would talk about whenever I was at their house. It sounds like a sweet way to spend time with your grandmother. It, it was, it was, I, I really still cherish, you know, growing up, getting to, to be in her class. Um, I think she technically was like the elementary Sunday school teacher, but the church was so small. I, I stayed in her class till I was in eighth grade. So, <laughs> how was that going to church with your grandparents and living with? Um, I assumed you lived with your parents who were not religious. What did they think of that whole situation? I think my parents were were fine with it. I think they saw it as an opportunity for for me and my sister to spend time with our grandparents, and you know they were supportive of that. I don't think it bothered them that, you know, they weren't interested in church, but we were going. My mom had, it was my mom's parents that I went to church with, and she had grown up kind of feeling like she didn't have a choice in going to church. I think they were more strict um, with her and my aunt, just like, you know, you have to do this until this age, and then you can decide if you want to keep going. But um, 
I think just because of that, she was kind of burned out on, on religion and going to church. And at first that was hard for me to understand, but I think as I got older, I kind of understood where she, she was at. What was that relationship with your mother like growing up and you going to church and then really like getting into the faith in a lot of ways um, and for them to not be as religious? What was that like for your for you and your mom? Um, with my mom, she even though like even though her faith wasn't a, a huge part of her life, the way that it had become in my life, she was always supportive she would always listen to me in my ramblings and like whenever I was excited about something that I was learning she would always listen Uh, when I was in high school we did start going to a different church together finally graduated from the elementary classroom the Sunday school classroom Uh, we found um, it would probably be considered a mega church Um, they had a lot of different locations um, around where I live Um, but it was completely different from, you know, the little church that she grew up going to with my grandparents and that I went to with them. You know, they had the big auditorium, the lights, stage, the band, and it just, it, all the messages felt very relevant to, to real life. And that was something that we both really liked. And it was special getting to do that together, to have something to do with my mom that would connect us. And we'd always have really great conversations after the, the messages were over, driving home and, you know, just dissecting everything and sharing our thoughts. Now, you mentioned how you started kind of seeing things in your reality, not lining up with kind of things that you were taught and believed um, about your faith. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so one of the one of the things that initially had kind of made me start rethinking, especially like evangelical Christianity in particular, um, was going to Cambodia in uh, college. Uh, all of the students where I went to college are required to go on a three week cross cultural trip, uh, which is different from a missions trip. Our our primary purpose wasn't to go and tell other people about Jesus. It was really just to go and learn about a different country and culture. Um, so it definitely like wasn't missions focused. We did meet up with some mission groups that were there, but um, I had never been outside of America before. And so I think just being anywhere different in the world is an eye-opening experience or would be for most people. Um, But for me, it was just really interesting being in a predominantly Buddhist country, um, seeing how other people live, um, just seeing different cultural traditions and how it was not the same as America and religion wasn't practiced the same there. Even even the Christians that we met in Cambodia, um, it it still looked different. And so that started me, you know, just kind of questioning, well, why is American Christianity the right version? Because that's kind of the way that, that it was always 
presented to me is, well, we have the right, the right version and we are responsible for going out and showing other people this correct way. And anyway, it just, it was, it was really interesting. Just that whole experience for a a lot of different reasons, but in terms of um, faith specifically, um, just, just got me thinking like, well, maybe there are other ways you can practice Christianity and be a Christian besides what I've always known. Um, So that was always something that I kind of had thought about. Um, Besides that, um, with Cambodia, there was also learning about the genocide that took place there in the 1970s. And that made me wrestle with a lot of just a lot of theological questions um, centered on the problem of evil and how does God allow, you know, horrible things like that to happen where just innocent people are, are killed in, in masses. And it's not that I hadn't, you know, try to work through the problem of evil before being at a Christian university. I was taking theology classes and talking about this stuff all the time, but it was just entirely different to be somewhere and like walking through a mass grave site where you could literally see pieces of bone sticking out from the ground and seeing monuments with skulls of real people. And it just, it was a lot to take in. And it, it was especially hard because in college back at home, Um, you know, everyone's talking about how God has a plan for your life and, you know, specific things he wants you to do and the details of your life matter and, and all of that. And just in contrast, being in this other country, learning about this brutal history and looking at, you know, remains of people, like real people, just like me and wondering how is this God's plan for them? Like, how, how is it fair that I get to talk about, like, God's plan for me and my future and, and this is what happened for these people? Like, it just, it was really hard to process. And I don't think I ever came up with good answers for it. It was just more kind of a realization. Yeah, those, those answers that you get from typical churches kind of start seeming pretty trite when you see those atrocities in real in real life you know yeah yeah there aren't really words for it i mean intellectually you can try to you know work it out like a puzzle or something but it's different when you realize you're dealing with real people who had families and plans and hopes and yeah, it just becomes a lot more personal. Yeah, and I wonder if there even is a, a puzzle that could possibly fit together to make right. all of that reconcile even just a little bit. Yeah, and of course it's it's uncomfortable. Like, as a Christian, of course I wanted to try to rationalize it, but I think there's just a point where it's like you can't. You can't rationalize it and to try to make sense of it and, and work everything out perfectly. I think, I think 
think overlooks people's lived experiences and their stories. I think mm-hmm. you end up paying that price when you do try to prioritize intellectualizing all of it so that it does make sense. Like you miss out on the personal story. That's, you know, letting the odyssey or the, the theology of, of why evil exists in the world that you let that, you know, in a lot of ways become the, you know, the, the top dog in your brain. And then that, again, there's so many, there's so much that you miss out on. Yeah. And I had taken a class literally on the problem of evil. It was called kingdoms and conflict, the problem of evil. And for a whole semester, we went through, I think it was like six different theodicies of like these theologians who had tried to come up with explanations for the problem of evil and how it reconciles with there being a good and loving God. And still at the end of the class, it was like, well, interesting class, but that still doesn't solve it. Like there, there's, there's no perfect answer to any of it. Yeah. It sounds like there was no satisfaction. Nothing satisfied that question that you had. No. And even, even my professor said as much like we're going to be looking at all of these different potential like explanations but you're not going to come away from this class with you know this tidy answer in your back pocket so he was at least honest about it right up front and I always appreciated his approach to you know teaching classes Um, he was always very honest and gave us the hard truth right up front (laughs) In wrestling with that um, problem of evil, um, where did that take you then from then from that point? I think it made me question God's involvement in like in individual lives. Um, like it made me question like, does God really have this? very specific plan for me how much of it is determined by him and how much of it is just my responsibility to figure out because to me um holding on to the same views of of god's role in my life how he had a specific plan for me and wanted to be involved in in all of my decisions and all the details of everyday life really it it was hard because I would keep thinking back to Cambodia and it just felt wrong like to, to keep thinking of of God that way because it I just couldn't I couldn't make peace with the the disconnect it felt like just like it's convenient for me to believe this and it's comforting to believe that God works in this way in my life but when I look out at the world at other people it's not so comfortable to believe because I feel like if I were to talk to not just you know victims of the genocide in Cambodia, but but anyone really who's going through a difficult time and say, well, 
know, God's there in the details. This is part of his plan for your life. Like that just, that doesn't help anybody. I mean, whether you believe that or not, that's not compassionate. That's, that's not being empathetic. That's, it's, it's just not okay. So I think that's the, the biggest thing that wrestling through the problem of evil had the impact that it had on me. It's just questioning my own beliefs about God and how it impacted my life, but then also how does that apply to everybody else and does it apply to everybody else equally? Yeah, it's easy to to say those kinds of trite statements when you live an easy life in, you know, 21st century white middle class America where things go really well for you. Um, you know, and, you know, even in America, you know, we, we have, we know that the black community has, has had such, you know, a hard time for 400 years. And so those kinds of things don't ring true for them, even, even in America. My sister talks a lot about, um, you know, the liberation theology that the black and Latinx communities kind of have to hold on to in order like that promise of uh, we will be you know loved and protected and raised up in the future and uh, and so that is that helps her understand um you know why there is you know why they're suffering now because that will mean a future whatnot and i i struggle with that too because it's why but, you know, why not now? Like, uh, why can't we experience some of this, you know, this elevation and equity and non-suffering now? Like, why does it right. have to be only future-oriented, you know? Right. And I think for me, like, wrestling through those same kind of questions, I think ultimately it was easier for me to to just stop trying to, to squeeze God into a box of of explanation and just and just accept this is this is just the reality that we have and to to take god out of that equation and to remove his role or to remove him from from that was actually easier for me um i know for some people it's it's important that you know, their faith still has a, a role in trying to make sense of why things happen. But for me personally, it's it's just been easier. I found that I've had more peace just being able to to read about the things that do happen that are just awful and know like, you know, there wasn't some supposedly loving creator that, that allowed that to happen or intended for that to happen. Would you say that uh, that experiencing Cambodia was like the first domino to fall in your faith? I'd say it was, yeah, it was definitely probably the, the biggest thing that had happened up until that yeah. point. So what, what did that lead you to and to questioning uh, after that, kind of the, the rest of the dominoes? Cambodia happened my junior year of college. Um, I didn't, I don't think I realized um, how big of an impact that trip 
had on me until, you know, months and even years now later, um, I'm still impacted by that trip. But um, then the next biggest thing was after I graduated, there were a few things that happened around the same time. Um, As I kind of was talking about, I had graduated with this idea that God had a specific plan for me and um, that that was something that was a big comfort to me moving out, you know, into the, the real world and starting to look for jobs. And, um, I, I believed that if I really, you know, prayed about things and my decisions that God would ultimately lead me to where he wanted me to be. Um, I mean, that's like the verse in Proverbs, you know, don't lean on your own understanding, but trust God and seek him in all you do and he'll make your path straight. That was really um, what I went out believing as I started looking for jobs. And um, the first job that I got, it didn't end up working out. It wasn't what I thought it would be. Um, A lot of it was probably just being, you know, this newbie college graduate with some expectations that weren't totally accurate, but, um, this, in the whole process of getting this job, it was at a mental health hospital, which on paper, it's like, okay, I have a psych degree that checks the box. Like, you know, this, this should be good. Um, I had really, really prayed a lot about this position. Um, at one point I, had showed up for an interview an hour late because I had traveled to a different state and my clock on my phone still was messed up. So I thought, oh my gosh, I am not going to get this job. There's no way. Um, So it was a lot of like, you know, Jesus, if if this is where you want me to be, you have to make this happen. And I got it. And so I thought, okay, great. This is, this is it. I felt like everything had been confirmed to me. This is where I was supposed to work. And Um, I went in for my first day, it's a 12 hour shift. I give a lot of credit to people that can work 12 hour shifts. I am not one of them. (laughs) I learned that on my first day. (laughs) Um, I know that jobs are really overwhelming on day one, but I just, this was a different level of it to me. I, I don't know how else really to describe it. It just, I knew it was not a good fit for me. Um, just because it was related to psychology um, didn't mean that it was going to work out, you know, that it was a good fit. There was a lot of, um, like, substance abuse counseling involved with it, which I I don't have a whole lot of, like, experience with. Um, so that was just another aspect of it. It's like, I don't know. It's not really an area of psychology that I've, I've really delved into a lot. Um, but for just a few different reasons, um, I just knew there was no way that this was going to work out. And so rather than drag it out, um, I ended up calling my supervisor after that first shift and said, I, I don't think I'm going to come back. 
which was so difficult and embarrassing, <laughs> like to have gone through all of this and to, to ultimately quit after the first day. It was very, very humbling. <laughs> um, but I remember just throughout that whole day of training and um, trying to learn the ropes, I just kept like praying in my mind, like, Jesus, I don't know that I'm going to come back here. And if you want me to come back here, you are going to have to make it perfectly obvious to me. Like, and I went home that day and I, I didn't have really any sense of, you know, what to do one way or the other. So I'm like, okay, guess I'm going to make this call, God. Uh, not going to go back. Um, and it's hard because with, with the few videos I've shared on my YouTube channel about that experience, I've gotten feedback from people saying like, well, that is where God wanted you to be. Like that probably was his plan for you just because it didn't work out. Or, you know, there's other criticisms like, well, you didn't give it a chance. Like you, you quit after your first day. And like, I, I totally get what, what they're saying, but to me, it still doesn't change the fact that it was this devastating blow to how I thought, you know, God was supposed to work at that time. And it, it just didn't make sense. And so I kind of walked away from that whole experience thinking like, okay, if I can't trust God and seek him with my whole heart about, you know, what job I should get, how do I do that with anything else? Like, can I really trust for his direction like that in other areas of life? So that was, that was a really big deal um, with my faith at that point. And then also around that same time, I was in a relationship that um, had started when I was in college. I had met someone um, my sophomore year and he had graduated a year before me and we had talked a lot about the future together and getting married and all of that. Um, but he lived a couple of states away and we were really expecting God to, to work in some way to make it possible for one of us to, to move to be near the other and for things to work out with that. And um, long story short, it wasn't working out. I was really struggling because here I was fresh out of college wanting to to start my life, but I felt like I couldn't because maybe God would open up a door for me to move to be where he was. And if I got a job in my hometown, then I would be locked into that. Or It just was a lot. And ultimately, I just was really struggling mentally, feeling like I didn't know what to do and I felt stuck. Um, and also, too, just from him hearing that I just needed to trust God more. I needed to have more faith. That was his his way of trying to comfort me or you know help me through it, but that wasn't that wasn't helpful. Um, so ultimately, I ended that relationship. Um, 
right around the same time that that first job didn't work out. So it was like two major things happening at once. Um, And with the relationship, it was, again, one of those things where I thought God had confirmed to me, this is who I want you to be with. Um, And again, that, that didn't pan out and it, it really, it really made me question what can I trust God for? Like, it's just a rough, rough season of life. Sarah, if I may offer, it sounds like with those two big blows to uh, what you understood God to be and it not working out that way, that um, both with the the hospital job and with this relationship, to me, it sounds like you uh, learned about who more of who you were and that you could trust yourself in that. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a huge shift for me because for most of my life at that point, I had been finding my entire sense of self and identity in my Christian faith. And I think, as you said, those experiences were kind of like the first steps into me realizing, like, I actually have a say in my life. And it's not all about, you know, making God happy or trying to figure out what he wants. Like, it's actually about me and what I want to do, too. And then it got way more difficult, like, when things, you know, unraveled further from there where it was an actual struggle of, I don't know who I am anymore because it eventually got to that point. Um, in the months after that, I, I legitimately went through a season of major depression, I think largely in part because I didn't know who I was anymore. Um, I, I didn't know who God was and therefore I didn't know who I was. And that was a huge, a huge struggle to figure that out because God was everything to me. It, my faith is what gave life meaning and purpose. And now for the first time, I felt like I was the one that had to define what those were, which at first was terrifying. Um, but as time has gone on, it's, it's become more of an exciting aspect or idea still terrifying some days, but um, I think more than anything, it's, it's more of an exciting idea. Like I get to define this for myself. Is that something that you would be willing to share with us of how you define yourself? who, Who is Sarah Martin? Sure. Um, who am I? Um, I think, I think the the biggest part of that is just coming to terms with accepting that I am a person of value, um, regardless of what anyone else says. Um, I have struggled most of my life with self-esteem and having insecurities and um, faith in Jesus was something that, that gave me value. It was easier for me to believe that God, God values me and God sees 
value in me than it was for me to say that I saw value in myself. Um, so I, I think that was a good stepping stone into being able to later when things started coming apart to take what I had learned, you know, God seeing value in me to being able to say, I see value in myself. I'm still the same person. I just don't believe the same things. Um, but like all, I have a really great group of friends from college who were instrumental in me learning to accept that I am a person worth knowing that I, I do have value and they, they have always been so good at reminding me like how they value me and my friendship and pointing out my strengths and all of that. And so when, when I did start questioning my faith, I had all of that there to, to be able to still hold on to, even though, you know, all of my faith and beliefs and all of that were, were up in the air. I might at least still had gotten some practice at, at believing that I had worth, um, on my own. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a journey. It's still not easy some days, but, um, as far as who I perceive myself to be, um, fundamentally, I, I believe I'm a person of, of worth, regardless of what anyone or any God says about me. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So now that you're in this place of new understanding about your value and worth, um, who or what do you believe God is at this point? That is a question I really don't have a great answer to still. Um, it's, it's interesting that um, a lot of comments I've gotten on my YouTube videos specifically about my deconstruction story of, of how um, things sort of unraveled. Um, a lot of people just make the assumption that I'm an atheist now. Like, okay, you say you don't call yourself a Christian anymore. Well, then obviously that means you're an atheist, which oh, I wow. have never said. <laughs> I have never said that in any of my videos. And It's that very is... like black and white thinking. Like here, it's either this bucket, it's, it's the right way, or it's just totally wrong. <laughs> right. I know. They're like, welcome to the world of atheism. Like, I did not say that that's where I'm at. Uh, but I deliberately don't make a point of saying specifically where I am now, mostly because I don't know. Um, and I, I don't feel a pressure to know. Um, so much so much of me being an evangelical Christian was, was having answers for everything. And I worked really hard to accept that not everything is certain like that, the way that it was taught to me. And I am not in a rush to try to pin down answers again. I, I like the fact that I can be open to whatever, you know, I can have conversations with people and not feel pressured to need to tell them about Jesus. And I can accept 
whatever they're telling me, you know, if they're from a different faith background, it's not like, oh, well, that's not the real religion. It's like, oh, wow, that's, that's such a cool, you know, experience or your story's awesome. You know, I can just, I can appreciate it in a way that I couldn't before. So I, I don't have a great answer for who I think God is or, or if, if he's there, um, he could be, I don't know. And that's okay. I, I don't feel a need to know. I think if I had to, um, to say probably what I align most with is agnosticism. Like there could be a God, but I, I don't know. I don't know if we are really capable of knowing what he's like, he or she or they, or, um, but, but again, I'm, I'm okay with that at this point. Um, I think that that's kind of the beauty of spiritual direction. What Chris and I get to do is that we get to affirm people wherever they are on their journey. And uh, we help, I don't even want to say we help. That sounds like it's a lot more directive than it is, but we get to journey along people as they get to discover what freedom looks like for them wherever they land on that journey. And I'm hearing so many places of freedom for you in discovering who you are and where you are now. And, um, and even in the wrestling and not having the answers, I still, um, I know that our listeners can't see your face, but I'm looking at your face on video and I could see smiles on your face as you were talking about, um, you know, it's okay not to have all the answers. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, it feels a lot more freeing than, than I've ever previously felt. It's been really hard to get to this point because again, it, it was terrifying at first to, to have a worldview where you do have answers for everything. Even if that answer is God works in mysterious ways. Like there, there's, there's always that, but, but yeah, it's, it's been really difficult to get to this point, but so worth it. I, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change what I've gone through at all. Yeah. That deconstruction journey is, um, not for the faint of heart for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <Mm-mm>. you know, <laughs> is there any more of that, the deconstruction process, um, that you would like to share with us? I can share a little bit about it. Um, I have my video on, on YouTube that kind of breaks down each step um, in a little more detail. But um, after, after I got through that season of, of depression um, and working through kind of those questions of who am I and who is God and if I can't know who God is, how do I, how do I live, you know? Um, I came out of that, um, I think a lot more willing to ask questions. I had found a life coach to work with that was familiar with, you know, the whole deconstruction process. And it was with working with him that I, I learned that term and was able to then find, um, more communities online, which the, the hardest thing initially besides, you know, questioning questioning everything I built my life on was feeling like I was alone. I I didn't know there were other people going through that. Um, 
because to, to question, I mean, to a point you can ask questions in the church and, you know, with, with other believers, but not to the point that I was asking questions. Uh, so I wasn't very, very vocal about it with, with many people. Um, so, so to find other people out there, even just online was such a relief and such a comfort. And I think that made a world of a difference in being able to move forward because I felt like I had permission. I wasn't crazy. I wasn't, well, I probably am a heretic, but you know, I wasn't the only one out there. Um, so community is just, it's so huge. Um, and I'm so grateful for those spaces that I've been able to find. Um, cause I feel like that's really what's helped me get to where, to where I am now. And just to see other people still wrestling with the same questions and being okay with the uncertainty and, and all of that. What have you seen as far as, you know, creating that, that safe place for people through your YouTube channel? Have you seen uh, a sense of community? Can that even happen through YouTube? Or what does that look like for, for you and your, I hate to use the word mission after all the denominational talk, but in your like purpose for your YouTube channel? Oh, I've gotten some, some comments that have been really encouraging because my whole point in starting my YouTube channel was was to help others feel less alone. That's that's what made the biggest difference for me. And so I wanted to be a voice out there sharing my story and hopefully being an encouragement to other people because that's what I needed when I first was, was going through that. Uh, so that was my original hope in, in starting the channel. It's been kind of an interesting experience because for a while I would get maybe a comment every couple of days, but then I don't know what happened with the algorithm or something, but I woke up one morning and had more comments than I could read. It was, it was insane. Just the amount of traffic that was now, you know, being driven to my channel. And um, it was kind of overwhelming to have all of this sudden feedback about this very personal story of mine. Um, not all of it has been positive. Um, a lot of the comments actually have been pretty critical and more on the negative side, which I would expect. Um, mm -hmm. You know, religion is one of those topics that people have strong opinions about. And I recognized a lot of my old thinking in a lot of the comments like, oh, well, you just should have done this or you didn't do this right or you, it wasn't God that, you know, had a, that God did this to you. It was your understanding of him and all of that. Um, but what, what makes it worth it is the comments that I've gotten from people that have said, I thought I was alone in this. I am so glad that I found your channel. Um, and what's even more you know, interesting to me is a lot of times they were sent as private messages to me, not even left as comments. So while I'm getting a lot of comments about more on the critical side, I would get messages from people privately just saying, like, I am so glad you shared your story. Like, it made such a huge impact on me. And 
that that's the community that I'm hoping to build. Even if, even if it's just private messages, like I, I love that, that me sharing my story has helped, has helped people out there. Yeah. That makes it all worthwhile. Now that you are starting to create that community of uh, people that, that kind of need that support that you wish that you had, like what, if you had gotten the support when you were going through all this and had been open and weren't getting comments and whatnot, what would that have looked like? I think it would have helped me through that, that period of depression a lot more quickly. I think a big part of why I felt so depressed is because I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody. All of my friends were friends from college. So they were all Christian. That was, you know, our faith was something that had, had brought us together and had been a big part of our friendships. My only other communities really were church. So besides my Christian friend group and church, I I didn't feel like I could really talk to anybody. Um, so I think, I think just having someone earlier on to have been able to talk to would have made a really big difference. I did try to bring it up to a point with, with my friends, um, just to share that I was maybe wrestling with some stuff, but, um, within a safe range, not um, getting into too much depth, which I have been able to open up more recently. It's taken a while because it's scary. You don't know what what people are going to say. And I value these relationships and I don't want to lose them. But at the same time, at some point, I mean, relationships are also about being honest. If, if they're healthy relationships anyway. Um, but I think think if if I would have been able to to have someone to talk to earlier on in that process, it it probably would have helped me get further along faster than than it actually took. I wonder if you had opened up to people and been met with some of that criticism that you're seeing on your YouTube page. I imagine that it just would have made things a whole lot worse, and you probably uh, would may have even retreated even more, you know, into, you know, your, the wrestling would have been a longer journey. Definitely. Yeah. I, I was not ready at that point to, to be able to, to hear that kind of feedback of, of, oh, well, you did this wrong or, or any of that, because through that whole process, I, I learned to, to own more of who I am and what I've gone through. And it's not really, something that's that's up for debate it's this is my story and this is what I went through so um yeah I'm, I'm definitely more in a place now where I can I can take that sort of feedback um the more critical feedback and and not let it get to me but earlier on it would have been devastating because I already was feeling like a heathen and <laughs> you know, this awful person for, for questioning all of this stuff. But I don't, I don't feel that way now. Do you plan to use your psychology degree in any way to, in, in this, um, maybe in helping other people through deconstruction or 
what are your plans for the future? I definitely want to keep, um, keep making videos and hopefully sharing my story and helping connect with other people going through it. I can't say that I have super clear plans at this point. Um, the, the crazy growth with my channel was really unexpected. So I'm still kind of navigating where to go from here. Um, but something I love about having a degree in psychology is I, I can lean on it anytime that I'm, I'm dealing with an issue that pertains to people, which is a lot of the time. I mean, even, even in my job, which has nothing to do with psychology, really, I, I still work with people and I still am, you know, trying to, trying to use some of the principles that I learned. Um, I think the biggest is just empathy and listening, which you can, you can practice in any situation, whether it's at work or online reading mean comments. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really grateful just to have that degree for the fact that it's, it's helped me be a more compassionate person which is something I definitely want to keep fostering online and in what I share. Yeah, I imagine that compassion is such a great gift for people that are walking through this journey of deconstruction because it can feel so lonely and you can feel like an outcast. I know that's definitely part of my deconstruction journey and um, afraid to share things, but to find resources online, you know, like your YouTube channel, um, I wonder what advice would you give people that are starting this journey that feel like an outcast? Uh, definitely to hang in there because it does get better, but also, also that you have permission to lean into the questions. Like it, it might feel wrong or sinful or like you're not supposed to, but um, I think one of the, greatest gifts we can give to ourselves is to just be authentic and um that was that was something that i had to decide when i kind of felt like i was at a crossroads of i can either keep going through the motions of what i think is right or what i've been told is right or i can kind of take this leap of faith into the unknown and and be real with where I'm at. And I chose the later option and um, it was really difficult, but it's been worth it because I, I've been real with, with who I am. And that's, that's what I hope to encourage people to do, um, whether it be on Instagram or my website or my YouTube channel or wherever is just encouraging people to be authentic, um, whether, I mean, whatever that looks like. I mean, deconstruction looks different for every single person. There's no set ending. There, every story is different. And so if that means you, you work through um, questions and still arrive at um, remaining a Christian and having faith in God, that's totally great. But what matters most is throughout the process is just being honest with yourself. Um, so 
that's that's probably the advice that that I would give. Just be real and have a support system, you know, like a absolutely like a spiritual director. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, really though, when I it when I found my life coach that that was so helpful just to have someone who who knew how to ask the right questions and and encourage me in in all the ways that I needed it. Um, so absolutely, whether it's a spiritual director, life coach, friend, or or whatever, it it is so important to have someone in that kind of role. Yeah, someone that you can be authentic with is not going to shame you and is not going to tell you what you're supposed to think. Yes, exactly. Well. You've got a lot of great resources on your website, and we'll be sure to link to that. So you've got some blogs and podcasts, and um, so, yeah, lots of good stuff that I think people will really appreciate. Yeah, I try to keep a running list of all the resources that I come across that have been helpful for me that I think could be helpful to others, too. Awesome. Well, you're doing a great work you're a support for people. I know it. And, um, and I wish that when I was deconstructing that I had seen your videos, <laughs> Yeah, it would have made me feel a lot less alone. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now we get to pay it forward, I guess. <laughs>